Mr. and Mrs. Autism and all the ships at sea, you're listening to Stim for Stim, the relationship podcast by and for autistic people. Uh, I'm your co-host, Zach Budrick. Who else is here with me today? Charlie Stern and Paris Geller Stern, my emotional support animal. He's a cockatiel. Hell yeah. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Paris. And today we're honored to welcome our first ever guest. Her work has been published in the Washington Post, The Nation, Vox, The American Prospect, and many more. And she writes the NOS Letter Newsletter. Please welcome Sarah Luderman to the program. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sarah. Oh, it's nice to be here. It's great to have you. So uh, just to start us off, uh, in keeping with the theme of the project, uh, so... Charlie and I represent sort of a broad swath of the relationship spectrum as well. Uh, Charlie is single and uh, polyromantic, and I am a and I am uh, married to a woman. So, what do you want to tell us a little bit about what your uh, current relationship status is like? Yeah, I think I have like a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B going on. Um, so I'm a queer monogamish and I have been with my fiance for six years. Um, we just got engaged this summer, which was really Yay. nice. Awesome. Congrats. So um, as part of the show, Sarah, we answer listener questions as we receive them. And... Uh, uh, we have gotten a fairly long one uh, this week from a listener who asked to remain anonymous, which, of course, we will do for for anyone who asks us to. And so it's, as I said, it's fairly long. So we are just going to read, and I, th- I think we agreed we're just going to read uh, like key yeah, excerpt from it, Charlie, was all we talked about. Let's take it by chunks, because my notes um, in my answer are kind of by chunks. Right, I am gonna uh, skip over this uh, first paragraph just because much of it is uh, uh, identifying information. Well, we we can say that um, that he uses he him pronouns, um, and he's an undergrad in college. Um, he's twenty, and he is Jewish. Ooh, Yay! <laughs> Fitting with the stereotype, I like trains. I have been fascinated by New York's transportation system for as long as I can remember. I know all about the history of the subway system, its subway cars, lines, stations, operation, proposed routes, provisions for future routes, etc. My knowledge about transportation in NYC is encyclopedic. Since 2013, I have edited and created articles on Wikipedia about transit in NYC, and I was featured in the New York Times and on a local news station, NY1. While some people are surprised when I tell them I have Asperger's, I don't tell many people. I've gotten a lot better at dealing with some of the things that come along with Asperger's, particularly through OT slash PT, psychologist visits, taking medicine, just growing older, but I'm very, very socially awkward. If I have known the other person for a long time, I'm somewhat comfortable speaking with them. I was bullied in elementary school, got a couple friends in high school, and people generally liked me for a change. There were several people I was comfortable speaking with, some of whom I would consider friends, but I cannot imagine doing anything with them. When there are certain things in common, such as school or transit, I can easily have conversations with people. I cannot just approach people and have a conversation with them. I'm not comfortable speaking to people I don't know and have no idea what to talk about since my interests are so niche. 
Even when I'm at events where other people are interested in transit, such as the New York Transit Museum, I cannot bring myself to speak to people. All right, so I think that's a good stopping point for us to start some discussion. Yeah. So what do we, uh, and this is something that I have uh, struggled with as well in terms of uh, like, sometimes it feels like shared interest aren't enough because, you know, there are, there are people who don't want to talk about shared interests as much as you do. That's definitely something I've experienced. And, uh, you know, Charlie, do you have any, uh, did, did you feel like you've been in a similar position? Oh, absolutely. And, um, he says later in his email that he doesn't swear. Um, so I'm going to preface um my suggestion with that um because i want to talk about shit posting groups on facebook <laughs> i i'm so serious that these have been like so amazing for me especially during the pandemic where you can just like you know focus in on one musical artist or one television show and just make like endless in community insular sort of um, reference jokes. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that he doesn't bristle at the term uh, shit posting. Um, but a lot of these groups, they're, they're not gonna like be named shit posting. Like Simpsons shit posting does exist, but then um, the show, I think you should leave. Mm -hmm. um, that's just like, I think it's just, I think you should leave posting. Um, and then, um, Nathan for you, um, it's Nathan for you business posting. So you just got to look for, um, the, the suffix of posting. Um, but basically like anything you could be into, literally anything you could be into, um, have a shit posting group. So I know for a fact that trains and transit have multiple because friends are, um, a part of those. And I have like, um, British friends, um, who are in these groups and some of them, um, are autistic. Some of them aren't, but like, obviously like in the UK and all throughout Europe, there's more, um, public transit. So like you can make international friends by just talking about your special interest on a Facebook group. So like, I, yeah, I could sing the praises all day of a shit posting group. Um, I'm in like, yeah, I'm in They Might Be Giants ones. Um, I'm in Kate Bush ones. I'm in all of the, you know, television show ones. Um, and like, I feel like all social skills are incremental, especially for us. And all social skills are a muscle. So once you are in a certain culture and you know how to joke with other posters, that can progress into friendships. You friend each other on Facebook, you send messages back and forth, you send memes back and forth and references back and forth. And eventually, you know, you, you have these friends or social structures, um, or you can maybe date um, and... Yeah, it's it's all community. You have to find your community. Sure. And I really relate to like mm, mm, the the guy that wrote in in terms of like being in college and not having ever dated. Um I didn't date until I was a senior in college. So I, I totally like get that fear and discomfort and everyone else around you is dating, so it can be like really difficult to 
it can be really difficult because you see other people doing what you want to be doing, but you're too you're too scared or it's too hard or you don't know how. Uh, I've totally been there. So yeah, I just want to like reassure um, the reassure our uh, contributor that like. It's totally normal. 100%. It's something a lot of autistic people yeah. experience, and it's not necessarily forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the other thing I wanted to to say just about like trains, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because woo trains. Um, yeah. So I've actually, uh, I actually went on a double date once with another couple uh, when the Silver Line opened in DC. We, oh, we ended really up riding yeah. the whole Silver Line. It was it was really fun. Um, I'm not like into trains like in a serial number kind of way, um, but I really, really like writing them a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, I guess like you, you mm -mm -mm. there's there's people, always people that share your special interest. Um, they might not be as into it as you, they might not relate to it the same way, but that, that kind of mismatch is actually kind of nice because you, end up sort of learning about how someone else enjoys something that you love, which I think kind of folds into having a special interest in the first place. Yeah. And going off of that, I, this, you know, my experience is not universal, but I think that, you know, it's, it's an oversimplification to say that confidence is a cure-all, but I do think that, Speaking from personal experience, I think that, you know, if you find someone when you can, with whom you can really talk about something like trains, uh, for instance, in one of those uh, shit posting groups that Charlie referenced, I think that you will get to a point where you are just, you know, more comfortable talking with that person in general, even if the subject veers away from something like trains. Also, like my parents gave me some really good advice when I was younger. That's probably been some of the most helpful advice I've ever had in my entire life, especially when it comes to dating. Um, dating someone isn't that different from having a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, so the thing that my parents say is that mm, 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 they're, they're monogamous and a little heteronormative. So we're coming at it from that perspective. But they say that the person that you date should be your best friend that you also like to smooch, um, <laughs> which is adorable. And also mm -hmm. I think true. Um, I think that like realizing that it wasn't that different from making a friend really helped me in terms of uh, like getting comfortable talking to people. Um, I think also like it helps to just like be okay with things not working out or just being friends or um, like if you, if you don't put so much like weight on the outcome, then it's a lot easier to be confident and sure. to be comfortable. Definitely. Yeah. I will say that like as a queer polyamorous person, I am often dating my friends or oftentimes partnerships um, look like friendships, but they are much more committed because we say they are. Um, and like, yeah, it's not a failure if someone you're trying to date becomes your friend, because either way, you're going to have a friend. Um, but also, like, you can date your friends. And it might even take years. I mean, I, I am entangled with someone um, this year and um, over the, the previous year, um, who was my friend and mostly my online friend um, for many years beforehand. 
Um, so yeah, I'm going to echo the same thing of, of don't focus on the result. Uh, just see what happens. And, you know, either way you have someone. Oh, I also want to say, so I actually personally haven't had a lot of luck with like stuff like Facebook groups, but, uh, Basically, everyone I've ever successfully dated, I met on dating websites. Um, I think dating websites are really great for autistic people for a few reasons. Number one, everyone is really upfront about mm -hmm. what they want and about like, yeah. why they're there. So like you don't have like that situation where like you don't know if it's a date, you don't know what the other person's looking for. Like maybe they like I've totally been on dates that I thought were dates, but the other person didn't before. <laughs> and, and this really like helped circumvent that problem. Um, the other thing that's really great about dating websites uh, and apps, I guess, is that um, you people, people talk about their interests and sort of put that out front. Mm -hmm. So you can find people that share your interests and that's like a good way to have a conversation starter. Um, obviously you don't want to like totally dump on the person um, because that can be really overwhelming but it can really help make a connection with a stranger if you share an interest and just sort of chat about it casually. Yeah. And even search terms like on OkCupid, you can just like look for all of the Jewish people. You just check off a box. Um, so yeah, totally. Like there are so many aspects of the internet that are so accessible and like my, my life is different than it was when I was in college, when I was like 18, because, um, you know, even Uber and Lyft didn't exist back then. Like, you know, if, if you traditionally wouldn't be able to drive yourself to a date, you can now go to go on a date because everything is like through apps. And it, it's, it's so incredible. It's the, the progress that has taken place over the past decade is incredible. 100%. And we were talking about this a little in sort of our uh, icebreaker period before we started recording. But uh, I do think that COVID has sort of been the great equalizer as far as that goes, because, you know, a lot of us are, you know, for, uh, forming connections from uh, behind the screen at this point. And you, I mean, you may even if you feel like uh, socially you're at a disadvantage, a lot of people are sort of limited in terms of the extent to which they can physically go out into the world and form these new relationships. And, you know, that's, that's okay. Like that is, that's the hand we've been dealt right now. And you are, you are not uh, falling behind anybody else for, if that ends up being what's easier for you. So this is our, uh, our questioner. While I hope to get into a relationship sooner or later, I feel resigned to the fact that I will never get into a relationship given my niche interests and other requirements I have, e.g. being Jewish or willing to convert, being liberal or, liberal or progressive, being a kind, caring person, being smart, someone who wants to make the world a better place, thoughtful, etc. I hate parties and social gatherings and go to bed early, limiting my ability to meet potential partners. In addition, at college, I spend all of my time doing schoolwork and I choose not to dorm, despite being able to do so for free since I just cannot live on my own. I'm very close with my family, cannot do some things other young people easily can do on their own or have a hard time with them, like buying things. Um, I don't go shopping much, cooking, laundry. 
prefer to be with my cats. Um, so which limits my contact with fellow college students. I plan on going to grad school and I hope to become a transportation planner. Once I get into my career, I will likely be a workaholic for limiting my ability to find a partner. So um, don't feel resigned to the fact you're never going to be in a relationship. It's, it's not necessarily true. I, I totally remember like feeling like I was just too weird to love. Like that I was just too weird and too gross and too like, too like intense for anybody to actually like want to date me. And it turns out that's not true. I have dated a lot of people since then. Um, not like, not like a ridiculous amount, but like it, it's been more than one. <laughs> um, it, it's, you're so young. It, 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 sometimes I think like it's important to remember that autism is a developmental disability. Sometimes it just takes us longer to do things everybody else does. It doesn't mean that we'll never do them. It just means that it might take a little bit longer for us to figure it out. Um, I do want to give like one word of caution, I guess, which is just um, about having understanding what requirements are deal breakers and which you can live with. Because you're, you're not going to find someone who checks off all of your boxes. You can find someone who checks off most of your boxes. Um, and so it's really important to like know which ones are the ones that you absolutely need and which ones you can live without. I actually think dating itself is really good for that because you can date people who meet some of the requirements. And then if it turns out that those requirements, the ones that they don't have are actually deal breakers, like you kind of like learn through trial and error. Um, so don't give up. I, I'm not like being like Pollyanna-ish here. It, it, I totally remember being 20 and just thinking I was going to die alone. And it's it's not true. I've been with my, my fiance for six years and he's my best friend and we just love each other and it's gross and ridiculous. And I never thought I would have this, but it's, it's totally something you can have. It doesn't mean it's like necessarily going to happen, but it's definitely not impossible. Yeah. And I want to say that like, he's, he's got his eye on grad school, like his self-discipline is already very grad school like because he doesn't allow himself like partying and fun and he goes to bed early and he does all of his schoolwork. And I'm hearing like, you know, the requirements to be like uh, an agent for change and good in the world. And I'm like, oh, you should date a social work student. Like you should just like, so someone getting their MSW, um, like they're they're also not going to have time to date, and you guys should date. Sure. Because I think that would work really well. I I went to grad school. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't I don't really drink a lot. Um, I didn't go to parties, and somehow I still ended up in a relationship. Like those aren't actually there things you, you need to do. Like it's it's totally. All the things that you think that everyone else is doing aren't actually necessarily every things everything else is doing. They're things most people are doing. And so if you find someone else who like has similar habits, then it's gonna work a lot better. Like I feel like when I went on my first date with my fiance, like I kind of got an impression that it might work because we were both 15 minutes early. Um <laughs> like we both showed up early and like that's that's just like something about both of us. Um yeah, it's, it's, you don't have to change who you are. It, it's okay to hate parties and n not be into that stuff. Like, it doesn't mean you won't find somebody. 
Yeah. And, and partying, one of my points, I, I'm just going to launch into um, the point about partying. Um, I have been straight edge since high school and I went to college and I went to a women's college um, with a lot of wild culture and a lot of debauchery and uh, lots of troublemaking. And sometimes that involved people drinking. And of course I was left out um, when people were associating a fun time with alcohol and then not thinking of me because they weren't inviting me to bars and they weren't inviting me to like all of these other things, for example, to like go secretly smoke weed. Um, But when you're so like, when you have so many rules for yourself and especially being sober and straight edge, when other people are drinking, um, they start to think you're cool because they start to think you're like stronger than them. Um, so even though you like don't have a beer in your hand and that's like not a big deal to you, like people will notice that you're not drinking. And if you explain that you don't drink, they'll be like, yeah, I should do that. Mm -hmm. And like, there's this weird sort of like clout that sometimes happens, um, when you're the sober one. Um, and like, when you're like, you can still have fun, or you can be like really rigid and rules oriented. Um, But either way, like, that's kind of your thing. Like you go to a social situation, and you have these things about you, and that becomes your thing. And people like, know you. And yeah, you don't have to like, you don't have to get drunk and like, do a bunch of like, drunken stuff to make memories like you know getting blackout and taking off all your clothes or peeing in a bush but um yeah there are so many ways to be social at a party for example or like with other people who are drinking that don't involve you also drinking or being intoxicated in other ways Mm -hmm. and if i could uh take uh another aspect of this both where he mentions uh that a couple of the boxes he's looking to check are someone who is either Jewish or willing to convert or someone who is liberal slash progressive. I, you know, I, I don't think it's unusual, it's unusual or unreasonable to specifically be looking for a partner who shares your values. I think that that's generally what neurotypical people do as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, they manage to do it. And I think that there are, uh, you know, there, there are ways of finding spaces where you're specifically likely to encounter those people as well, be it, uh, through, uh, be it through social media or like narrowing your field on dating sites or, and I mean, uh, for instance, I, I met my wife at, uh, in a student activist group and, I, I totally agree with what Sarah said about how sometimes you're going to be surprised by how the person for you isn't someone who meets all of what you thought were your uh, non-negotiable criteria. But, you know, I think that I think it's probably human nature to have shared values be among the less negotiable criteria. So I think that that would be a good place to start if that is what you're if that's, if you want that to be your foundation. Yeah. And you and Rachel went to church together Mm -hmm. and, um, it, it's totally reasonable to like join a progressive temple and like talk to your 
fellow worshipers um, or congregants and then develop relationships from there. Like you can just find a leftist progressive queer affirming if you if you want that um, shul and just go to shul. Just keep going mm-hmm. to shul and then people know your face and then, you know, boom, you have a community. I grew up going to like an Orthodox synagogue and I went to Hebrew day school for like a while. And the other thing I would say is just like, I thought that the person that I'm with had to be Jewish. And it turns out that wasn't actually a deal breaker. Um, I'm in an interfaith relationship right now and it's great. Actually, it works out really well because we don't have to like split holidays. So like he comes to my family for all the Jewish holidays and I go to his family for like Christmas. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It actually, I didn't think it was something that I would be okay with. And it turns out I am because I took a risk. drinking and intoxicants in general and social situations like some some things those included um it is not okay for anyone to coerce you about um no one should be coercing you into drinking or smoking weed or doing drugs or even for that matter having sex um but you know there are certain safe things where people People should be allowed to, to pry you out of your shell. You should allow them to pry you out of your shell. Um, when I was a first year in college, um, the seniors would invite me to sit with them on the school grounds and just, you know, sit and chat. And that's a good type of coercion, you know, hanging out and being social, but not anything that happens in a social situation, for example. Um, you know, just just like, drinking, smoking, having sex, all, all that stuff. And I think that dovetails um, nicely into a very important thing uh, Sarah's about to say um, about coercion rules and, you know, uh, a, a very, um, hmm, a, a scourge, a scourge. <laughs> How do you pronounce scourge? Scourge upon the community and a scourge upon dating in general. I don't know like how hip it is anymore, but uh, I, I think it is still a thing, like pickup artists. Um, we don't know what's under- hip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We're all old. We're all I, really I, old. I don't know what's going on anymore. I need to like make some oatmeal and lie down. <laughs> um, so yeah, so pickup artistry can seem like really appealing to a lot of younger autistic men who want to date and have sex and do all of that stuff because it gives you like really clear rules it kind of like turns dating into a video game but in a bad way where like there's there's achievements and there's like certain boxes you tick and then like what you want happens and the problem with that is that like number one you're it's kind of awful Mm -hmm. and number two you're never gonna like get something long-term and sustainable that way i actually ended up uh dating a pickup artist by accident one time uh, so I think I was in my early, no, I was in my mid twenties and I met this guy at, uh, at a friend's house and he seemed like, like he like wore a lot of really colorful clothing and I thought he just like had a cool sense of style 
And it turns out that's like peacocking. Um, oh, no. <laughs> doing quotation marks with my fingers. Uh, and like he'd talk about his job a whole bunch, which like I thought he just was like really interested in his job, but apparently that's demonstrating value. <laughs> uh, so we went on like a few dates and we ended up, we did hook up. And then like it just sort of fizzled because it turned out under all that surface stuff, he was really, really boring. Oh, like, like, just deeply boring. Probably one of the most boring people I have ever met in my entire life. Like, he he was really interested in, like, like nutraceuticals oh, and, like, doing sit-ups and, like, not really anything else. And, yeah, he, he just... So, like, it, it can seem like that sort of, like, pickup artist stuff works, but it doesn't work if you want to have a meaningful relationship with a woman yeah um, or yeah. anybody else really like it just it just it's really appealing because it gives you these really clear rules about how to do a thing but the problem is that like real people don't work like that yeah, yeah they're trying they're to push kind of... buttons to make sex come out mm-hmm. yeah and sometimes the people you date will be clueless like me and it might happen but <laughs> it is not sustainable because it turns out that no amount of colorful clothing or talking about your job makes up for being deeply boring. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons to learn uh, while uh, dating or seeking a long-term relationship or whatever you're trying to do uh, is that, you know, think of it less as you have to this uh like exact combination that you have to unlock and more about the fact that you're not that there there is no magic key to predicting human behavior and to date or to seek relationships with people is to you know accept that and maybe on some level find the beautiful side of that yeah and in general this podcast is not necessarily trying to get you laid like Mm -hmm. We're not a pickup artist podcast. Um, we're not guaranteeing results. Um, we are very anti Jordan Peterson. Um, anti uh. that whole that whole thing. You know, we're not going to tell you to spray yourself down with axe. Um, but you know, I'm going to encourage hygiene, and I mm-hmm. think um, you know, perfume and cologne are really interesting to nerd out about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what, what body wash, uh, to use that'll, you know, get you pussy. That's, we're not in the business of doing that. Yeah. And we were saying this, we were discussing this off mic, but we, you know, we like the idea that, you know, it becomes easier to find a partner if you, figure out how to find people who get you in general. And that's not guaranteed to find you a partner, obviously, because nothing is. But it is likely to at least help you, you know, make make some pretty good friends as well. And that's I don't think that's anything to sneeze at either. Yeah. I I think community is always a plus. I think, you know, if we can work on being less isolated ourselves and also help our listeners be less isolated that's beautiful because Mm -hmm. everybody needs friends everybody needs support sure sure and uh you know it's it's 
unfortunate that this is so that that so much of the stuff that we are warning against uh, holds so much appeal to young men in general, and I think that that is sort of a consequence of the fact that we don't talk about uh, like men's minds as like this unknowable quantity in the same way as we talk about uh, women's minds or non-binary people's minds. And, you know, that uh, I think that we need to first and foremost, stop granting that premise, the idea that these are like all different uh, species and you need a decoder ring for them or whatever. Yeah. Because we're all, we're all people. And it's all about communication. It's all about learning how to communicate with other people and, you know, reach out um, beyond your own brain and beyond your own person. 100%. Women are people, not Martians. Yep. Although if they were Martians, that'd be really cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, wait, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Right? I think that's what it is. But yeah. I just... <laughs> I just got I just got the image of like a woman as Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen panel going, I am tired of these earth, these men, tired of being caught in the tangle of their lives. I mean true though. <laughs> I yeah, I also want to say like, you know, autism is so gendered and there is such a gendered um experience of being autistic. Like, you know, I I wasn't diagnosed as a child because I was raised as a girl. And there are certain coping mechanisms um that I've had to learn and I've had to I've had to learn how to become a good salesman and a good negotiator to get myself like to obtain safety in a world that views me as a woman. Um and you know part of this is maybe masking part of this is just like, you know, the world is really shitty and hierarchical. Um, but there's a gendered, yeah, there, there are different gendered experiences of autism. And also at the same time, um, sometimes men and autistic men can come across as threatening. So, you know, we, we kind of want to focus on like, minimizing you know that sort of like minimizing harm minimizing like um someone's uh perception of being harassed by you because like don't be a reply guy for example <laughs> but like try to genuinely like become someone's friend and be a part of a community but like for for me for example if i were to reply to a woman's tweet or reply to a non-binary person's tweet um, that's not gonna, uh, that's not gonna give off the, the th threat alerts, you know, in that person. But if you are a young autistic man, and you don't yet know how, how these social mechanisms work, um, replying out of the blue to a woman who may share the same interests as you, um, that's maybe going to come across as threatening or at least very rude. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was actually just discussing this with someone uh, the other day. Uh, you know, if you, you know, we were, I think we mentioned earlier the idea of not knowing whether you're on a date, but I mean, if, 
I think it can be helpful to be forthright about wanting to make sure you're on the same page as far as that goes as well. Uh, you know, I went on a couple of dates uh, with someone I with the woman that I met early on in college that I felt like I we really hit it off and early on around the end of our second date I just decided to point blank ask her do you uh do do you see this going anywhere long term and you know she let me down very easy but said not really and that's not really something she was looking forward to and or not looking forward to but uh not uh looking to do but you know I I was okay with that and she was someone that I you know liked as a person and enjoyed talking to a lot and as a result we have you know been really good friends the entire time so you know it might have seen it, it might have seemed like uh you know there was some short term pain in I guess to use the parlance of our times shooting my shot like that but I'm very <laughs> glad I did and it kept you know it kept things that things could have been a lot more awkward and, you know, a lot less amicable if I hadn't. Yeah. And I, I love asking questions and I love anticipating a no. And I personally don't kiss anyone without asking them if I can kiss them. And I ask with the possibility in my mind that they will say no. And I want to give them that out. I want to give them that option for saying no. So yeah, I, I love talking too much about things and I love asking too many questions. I don't think, I don't think uh, you can do a lot of harm just asking too many questions. Sure. And I really understand just from personal experience, just how, nerve-wracking it can be particularly for an autistic for an autistic person that that just the idea of something where there are no guarantees because that has always like terrified me particularly as an adult like just this idea that I could do everything right and just still not guarantee that I come out on top and but you know that's that's always going to be the case, particularly uh, with relationships. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think that the, so sometimes I think that like part of the goal is to just get to a point where you're able to accept that and, you know, respond to, but what if I fail with, but what if I succeed? It's actually like one of my favorite quotes from star trek i know exactly what you mean yeah nerd. yeah uh, so like uh, captain picard says it's possible to commit no mistakes and still lose that's not a weakness that's life and he's totally right i love that there are some things you can learn from star trek mm -hmm. uh probably don't learn everything from star trek <laughs> because um sometimes the gender politics oh, are God. outdated <laughs> but there are things you can learn from star trek um more than yeah, you can learn just... from the cast's twitter anyway <laughs> well, it's, everyone except William Shatner's great. Mm. <laughs> he's 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 the the anomaly. Yeah, I mean, William Shatner hates autistic people, right? Is that the yeah. thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think he also does. He also, he also hate like, queer people. He's really crappy to trans people. Yeah. Um, like 
Wasn't he, he like was... specifically in a flame war with like uh, like specific fandom ships for a while? Yeah, I think that like like I think slash fiction peeves him off. Like, <laughs> I don't know. He's just like he's just like an he's just like We're in the wrong neighborhood, if, buddy. If, if the old man is yelling at Cloud, mm-hmm. meme was yeah. a person. <laughs> 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 or I, I guess I have a friend that calls him Space Trump. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's actually brilliant. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I just like it's it's you, you can do everything right and it still might not work out. Mm-hmm. That's 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 just real. Like, yeah. And being okay with it not working out is just super important. Like, it. I used to think that if I went on a date and it didn't work out, like I'd really beat myself up about it and be like, oh gosh, like I I can't this is my fault. There's something wrong with me. Like I, I'm going to die alone in a ditch somewhere and no one's going to care. Like, and like, the thing is though, like if you, you can always date another person. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no, like if it doesn't work out with someone, you can just date another person and maybe it might work out with them. Um, like there's just, tons of different people who are all different and want different things and like different things. And, like, if it doesn't work out with one person, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I, I actually wrote in my notes verbatim, you're not broken, but you have to practice. That's that's how I yeah. live my life, honestly. And, and you know, similarly, you, 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 you have, you've never crossed the finish line of being a person, I guess is how I would put it. Like, well, you're... That's actually brilliant. Can you say that again? Because that's blowing my mind. Sure, you've you've never crossed the finish line of being a person. Like you have, you're never old enough or accomplished enough that you have, like, done everything that you are intended to do to have your full experience as a person or know everything that that you need to know. Yeah. There's no winning and there's no losing, and that's very freeing. Um, I want to talk about um, special interests where being weird is okay, because if you have a cat or you have a dog and you're really intense about them, like that's kind of weird, but I have a bird and there's so much special knowledge that you have to well you don't necessarily have to know all the special knowledge but it's very fun to find out all this stuff and then talk amongst your community about this stuff like different perches different heating pads different plants they might like um you know different feeding schedules um you can't cook with Teflon pans. You can't have candles. You can't have incense. Um, you can't smoke. Um, like, you can't really choose your bird's personality. You just have to problem solve every step of the way. Like, he's such a weird little guy. <laughs> and there are so many things that could kill him. But there are also, like, different levels to unlock in terms of his happiness. You know, like, he showers with me. Like, we are very weird. Like, we are a nightmare Tinder date, but it's, like, (laughs) funny. Like, there's someone out there who I met on Hinge who probably, like, 
didn't have a good time at our house, but it's like funny because I'm really obsessed with my bird and I couldn't take a break from being obsessed with my bird to like fully interact with this human. And it's like, you know, if you, if you're a tarantula guy, if you're like a chicken guy, um, (laughs) if you have lizards, if you have snakes, like you can be like such a nerd and know all of this esoteric stuff. And like, you know, like, you can monologue at these people um, and it's cool because you've got these little demons running around your house and you, you get to explain them to people. And it's, it's so different than being intense about a cat because I think it's very off putting to people to be like very intense about cats and dogs. (laughs) Oh no, that's a problem for me. I'm sorry. It's supposed to be intense about dogs. I'm oh, sorry, no. but like, I mean, you're you not be- you're not like a best in show person. Oh yeah, no, best in show like loops around. I to have be feelings cool about schnauzers. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's definitely a way to be like intense about dogs, like in a in an uncool way that loops around to being cool. Because if you <laughs> if you are into show dogs and you're into like you know quaffing your dog, like I think that is so repulsive that it's now cool again um (laughs) but like you know the the short story cat person you know there's such baggage um related to cats and being a cat lady or being a cat guy and you know having six cats you can have six birds and you can have six snakes but once you have six cats it's like what the fuck is wrong with that person charlie did you watch uh, crazy ex-girlfriend no, um, I have friends of friends who wrote for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but oh, I never, awesome. like, TV shows are, like, such a project for me. I, I have to be all into the canon and all into the world, and I, I couldn't commit that time to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I get it. I just, there's, and there's an entire uh, sequence where she just decides that she is... Uh, done with dating so she has to buy a fuck ton of cats instead and there's an entire musical number called fuck ton of cats how many cats i i don't think they specifically say they just say a fuck ton of cats and there's just like these uh like jim henson looking at cat puppets in the background singing about how they're not actually that friendly and they'll probably make a person more lonely (laughs) You also might like find someone who wants to also have like six cats, though. Sure, that's true. I have uh, one of one of my good friends and his boyfriend have a lot of cats. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's someone that is into the same kind of weird, probably somewhere. Yeah, and you can totally like foster with your partner and stuff. I'm just saying, like as a single person, like six cats versus six iguanas you know (laughs) i don't know i i'm just very pro exotic pet i i just think it's really cool and obviously i just monologued about it like it is my special interest to have birds and i have a sweater that i'm looking at right now that has like hand stitched parrots um so i'm i'm all in um but me talking to a cat person i i'm like a little like I'm I'm a little turned off when someone's like really intense about a cat or a dog. I don't know. Sure. But no, I, that, that. I mean, 
any anyway, all, all that is to say, you know, there are certain special interests, like as a 20 year old college student um, who is single and trying to date, you know, there are more acceptable special interests than others. Sure. Um, and like if you if you were a nerd about skincare, for example, or a nerd about cologne, for example, like people will view you more favorably. And that's maybe not something to like abide by and like frame your life around. But, you know, like think about the the wideness of community um, and, you know, uh, looping around again, Facebook. Facebook is great for finding these groups um, for your special interests. So I want to address um, living with one's family. Um, personally, and I've talked about this before, um, I grew up in a violent home. And um, even after college, I chose uh, to be homeless um, as opposed to living with my abusive parents. And I don't recommend that. Um, but the danger was so great. And, um, you know, I was in the throes of sickness and couldn't work that homelessness was the better option and the more, not only the safer option, but um, the option that uh, provided the most freedom. Um, I, I bring that up to say that every autistic person is different and every autistic person has uh, a different relationship with their parents and with their family. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are going to be queer autistic people. Um, and sometimes our parents aren't that great. Um, so, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of trying to decide, like, should we tell you to, uh, live alone or try, uh, moving out of your parents or should we not? So I'm just going to open that up to Zach and Sarah because we had a little chat off mic and now we want to, sure. we want to sort of mull the question around. So I guess I want to say that like, uh, and this is like a concept from like the broader disability rights movement. I think that independence is an illusion. Um, I think that we're all very interconnected. Nobody's actually independent unless they're like living in the woods and growing their own corn and pooping in a bucket. Like we, we all rely on each other um, because some people have skills other people don't have and vice versa. Um, I do think that it's it's perfectly fine to live at home if you need that kind of support. Um, I just want you to remember when you're dating that you should not be looking for a replacement for your mom. Um, like you really, it's okay to need help doing things, but you can't expect the person you date to do those things for you. Um, and so like later on, um, like as you get older, you might choose to move out. Um, there's other ways you can get supports. Um, you can hire a cleaner, you can get help organizing. Um, and it's okay to need that, but you shouldn't expect Absolutely. your girlfriend to be mom number two. And, you know, yes. the thing about, uh, you know, I think, and this is just going back to my experience again, but I think that the thing about, uh, you know, the extent to which you are comfortable living independently, much like, uh, you know, all the other criteria you have, I think that. You know, everybody's different, but I think that with the right person, uh, it may surprise you. I 
hadn't really thought about living independently at all, but I moved in with, when I moved in with my uh, girlfriend and now wife, it just made sense because she was like the first person that I had ever really been comfortable doing that with. So, you know, it's may sound, you know, a little cliche to say, never say never. But again, I do think that, you know, you never want to like completely shut the door on a possibility uh, based on the idea that you have in your head. And I understand that this, particularly for autistic people, can go beyond something as simple as, you know, I don't want to. Like it's something deeper than that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I think that there are circumstances where we surprise ourselves. Yeah. And, and you may find roommates who become your chosen family and you could live with your chosen family forever. And there could be an interdependence, um, where all of you help each other. Um, and you know, that could be like totally different from the situation you live in and you can't even imagine it at this point, you know, you never know. It is okay. Like if the person that you're with helps you do things, it just shouldn't be an expectation. Sure. Like yeah. my my fiance Gavin does the vacuuming um, because I am like a cat or a dog <laughs> and I can't I'm like kind of scared of the vacuum noise. <laughs> so, it's so loud. It's so loud. I hate it. So <laughs> Gavin does the vacuuming and that way I don't have to deal with the vacuum and our house is relatively clean. Yeah. Um, but then there's other things I can do that Gavin can't do. Like um, Gavin's legally blind um so i i can drive so i you know bring that to the relationship so like it's okay to like be able to do some things and not others you just shouldn't expect the other person to do certain to do things for you sure yeah and and again it's so gendered Mm. it's absolutely so gendered um and whether or not a young man is autistic um you know maybe there are some things he wasn't taught, uh, you know, that maybe his sisters are taught. Um, so, you know, this is, this is a thing in, in immigrant families where like kind of boys are babied and then, uh, girls or people raised as girls are just, um, auxiliary parents. I mean, it was like that for some people in my family, to be honest. I, I think that a lot of neurotypical people also are looking for, or neurotypical men specifically are also looking for mom too. And that's just (laughs) not a good idea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And we have a similar uh, like division of labor based on, you know, what we particularly might have uh, specific difficulties with Uh, Rachel and I do. uh, And I am, generally in charge of the dishes and uh, the cat's litter boxes, whereas, you know, Rachel is the driver in the family. But, you know, at the same time, obviously, in an emergency, we're not bound to that. And I know, for instance, I have decided, we've decided that I'm going to learn to drive after the election just to, uh, just uh, so that the burden isn't entirely on her. But again, this is very case by case. And, you know, it is, you know, at at the same time, you know, 
it's it's okay to have things that you are not necessarily feel you don't necessarily uh, feel like you're prepared to do uh, for reasons like the ones that Sarah presented. But I mean, that's needs to be a happy medium between that and just expecting things to be done by somebody else, obviously. Yeah, I mean, like, it's okay to not be able to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you might be able to do it. Um, and sometimes, especially for, for, I think, disabled men, uh, like autistic and otherwise disabled men, you're not expected to try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I don't know. You might you might be able to live independently. You might not. And either way, it's okay. Um, I don't think it would get in the way of dating. Sure. And I think it's going to be uh, you know a recurring theme on this podcast. Just in the idea in general, uh, you might su- you might surprise yourself in terms of what you think you are and aren't capable of. Yeah, and and growing up is a process, mm-hmm. and it's totally not linear. Mm-hmm. Especially for us. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like, like we said on our, our last episode, um, we, we were still preteens until very recently. Now, I just want to introduce uh, our segment for this episode. Uh, what's pissing you off this week? <laughs> I'm actually uh, sort of still uh, putting my thoughts on this into words, but I know that uh, Charlie uh, came to the table with something very specific as far as this goes. (laughs) I came prepared because this is something that I devoted too many hours to. So I watched all of Emily in Paris and I'm so fucking mad (laughs) and I've watched so many response videos on YouTube um, about it, like mostly about her fashion. Um, Emily in Paris is about this basic bitch um, from Chicago um, who goes to Paris as a replacement for her boss. Um, so she's not prepared. She, she doesn't know Paris. She doesn't know French. Um, she barely knows how to do her job, um, but it's a, like a French marketing firm. Um, and... I, I'm not going to talk about her fashion too much um, because I'm not an expert, but she looks stupid <laughs> at all times. And she's always wearing a fucking little jaunty hat like to match whatever outfit she's in. And she looks so stupid. But I'm not going to talk about that. Um, I'm going to talk about like the fact that it's such an American and Americanized um, series and the French characters are so Americanized because this show was written by Americans. Um, I, like, nothing anyone does makes sense. Um, And mostly my point as a queer, non-monogamous, polyamorous person is that there is a love triangle and the love triangle doesn't need to exist. Um, Just date each other. Mm -hmm. They would all be fucking instantly. They would all be having threesomes like every night. Um, and the thing is, so so th- this is a spoiler, but so she falls for her downstairs neighbor. Um, and then she meets a girl on the street at a flower shop who is really cool. Um, and this girl kisses her on the mouth. 
Um, and Emily thinks it's an accident. And this girl is like, no, it wasn't an accident. And so her neighbor and this girl are dating. And she feels like she's betraying this girl for having feelings for the guy. Um, but like this couple brings her on dates. They would be dating her. And they should, like, in this universe, they should all be dating each other. They should be interdating. And so, like, you know, there is a plot point where um, some some client for the marketing firm has a mistress, but also a wife. Um, and that's very French. Because the French are like that. Um, I mean, half my family's French. So I'm like, I have a specific gripe um, about this show. Um but yeah, I mean, not even me as a polyamorous person, just me as a realistic person who knows that the United States is not the only country in the world. Um, and I've seen European cinema, like they would all be fucking each other. <laughs> there would be instant, constant threesomes. And so that's my gripe. <laughs> the end. I mean, I have not watched the show, but that uh, that makes sense to me. Just everything, everything you're saying, and you know, if it's all right, if I go next, uh, yeah, I'm still thinking about my thing. Sure, uh, <laughs> my thing is also uh, related to a Netflix production. In this case, it is the Aaron Sorkin film, "The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which you know, I it, this. Oh wait, wait! Can we just say that? Yeah. We're not mad at Netflix, no. but this show, like this podcast that you're listening to right now was made in spite of and in response to Netflix's love on the yep. spectrum. So anyway, we don't hate Netflix, but we do hate yeah. Netflix. Give Go us ahead. a show. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Give us a show. Do uh, better. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, this may surprise some of our listeners, but I do not hate Aaron Sorkin. I think that he is good at what he does, even when that's annoying as hell. I think that The Social Network is one of the best movies of the last decade, even though it is way more like an Aaron Sorkin fantasy than an actual, uh, an actual uh, historical document about Facebook, but. That being said, this is kind of my uh, same problem with uh, uh, this movie, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which for those of you who are not aware, seven, uh, seven radicals who were arrested for protesting during the 1968 Democratic National Convention were put on trial under the by the Nixon Justice Department, and uh, they were all convicted and or no, five of them were convicted and their convictions later overturned. And this is this is Aaron Sorkin's take on it. And it is very much him like ignoring the actual radical politics of the people involved to project uh, West Wing liberalism onto all of them. Like uh, you got uh, Abby Hoffman, the founder of the yippies and the author of steal this book uh giving this like courtroom testimony about how he thinks that the institutions of american democracy are inherently noble and he is just trying to <laughs> and he's just trying to hold the u.s government uh to account on those uh, there is this basic they, they basically uh 
turn Tom Hayden, who was the leader of Students for a Democratic Society, into this you know, very much mouthpiece for Aaron Sorkin's politics so that they can present him as in conflict with Abby Hoffman in a way that he really wasn't. There's a scene where another one of the defendants, David Dellinger, who was a conscientious objector to the point that he didn't fight in World War II, uh, punches a bailiff. It's, uh, it's again, it's it would be a good fictional movie, but it's just so, like, obnoxious in its flattening of the actual politics of the people involved that, you know, it's... It almost reminds me of there, there's an episode of The Sopranos where Paulie says that he hates the Russians because of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Christopher realizes for the first time that the Cuban Missile Crisis was an actual thing and not something made up for a movie. And I, I think <laughs> that a person could watch this movie and think that these were fictional characters that Aaron Sorkin made up. Yeah, especially Abby mm. Hoffman, like being so muted, mm. you know, that that's why I won't watch it. And Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, to be clear, is incredibly good as Abby Hoffman. He just deserves a script that did the historical figure justice. Would you say that Borat is more radical praxis than Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman? I mean, I would you say that Borat is more of a radical? <laughs> I mean, I think that Borat does what the Yippies wanted to do, which is to heighten the contradictions of American democracy. Oh, that's so mm. true. Fuck. Oh. That that was yeah, that was really like a sophisticated uh, <laughs> thesis. Yeah. All right, so I I'm just trying to think of something that's bothering me that isn't like horrifying <laughs> right <laughs> not the state of the world it's, in general. it's 2020 and we live in a hellscape sure. so there are a lot of things that really sure. bother me and a lot of them are probably much heavier than uh stuff that happened in a movie um in terms of petty grievances um i recently wrote an article about uh the return of the telethon oh god yeah that was really so, good Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, Jerry Lewis, who's uh, for for the youngins, uh, <laughs> was a comedian back in the day. Um, used to do this like long fundraiser on TV with uh, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and it was just like campy and trashy and total pity porn. I mean, like basically, like it was fundraising. It was fundraising based entirely on getting like pity. Like these kids are gonna die soon, so you should give us money to cure muscular dystrophy, which hasn't happened yet. Um, despite two billion dollars going towards that in their fundraising efforts, um, according to Time Magazine. So they decided to bring it back this year, I guess, because they're having like difficulty fundraising, and it's hosted by Kevin Hart. And I'm just like annoyed i thought that we as a society had progressed beyond telethons mm -hmm. like i thought we would just like it all agreed that this was like bad and we shouldn't do it that like pity porn to raise money is like just disrespectful and maybe we shouldn't but apparently i was wrong 
So, like, there's just all these celebrities that signed up to do the telethon, and, like, most of them, I don't think any of them even have disabilities. The only one who got mentioned, like, only one person who has, like, a relevant, who, who has, like, a neuromuscular disability is, like, Jillian Mercado, the actress, and, like, she wasn't even, she was, like, really ambivalent about being involved. I'm not sure if she ended up, like, doing it or not. It's just... I'm so frustrated. Like, I thought we were done. I thought I thought we were done. It's, it's like, it just won't stay dead. Sure. The telethon won't stay dead. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just watching the, the discourse on Twitter around this, like, uh, it's... Yeah, I saw that uh, Dan... Uh, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek uh, was one of the people who uh, promoted it on Twitter and a ton of uh, disabled people who are huge fans of his were trying to explain to him how this was, was bad news and it feels like it feels kind of like when you would find out a celebrity supported Autism Speaks a few years ago mm-hmm. or like I don't know well not quite like yeah, this is more like autism speaks. I was thinking about when you find out a celebrity is like transphobic. Oh god, that's a that's that's more of a choice. Whereas I think a lot of times people don't understand like the underlying politics of autism speaks or the muscular dystrophy association. Sure. And, like yeah, some people just don't get it, and that's not that's not like bad people. Like yeah, they just as opposed to like people who are transphobic mm. who are just assholes. Yeah, yeah. I think especially in terms of uh, disability, like from the perspective of non-disabled people, uh, the level of self-advocacy that exists, I think that a lot of non-disabled people don't know to look for that, to find out whether something like the telethon is problematic. So yeah, I guess my, my petty grievance is that in our year 2020, as the world burns, literally because of forest fires and the elections coming oh god oh god and like i think there's like a listeria outbreak in florida i don't know everything's terrible but i'm annoyed by this fundraising strategy so (laughs) Uh uh-huh sarah uh do you is there anything um, we ran down uh your highlights in the intro i think but is there anything you want to plug before we go like uh... i want people to hire me Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hire Sarah. don't like freelancing. Please hire me. I hate freelancing. I would like to have like benefits and stuff. So yay. Sure. <laughs> cool. So I'm I'm good at things, I promise. She is. Sarah is Sarah is great at things. That's that's look at look how well she has done on this episode alone. <laughs> Seconded. Thank you for listening to this episode of STEM for STEM, a relationship podcast for and by people on the autism spectrum. Special thanks to this week's guest, Sarah Luderman. STEM for STEM is hosted by Zach Budrick and Charlie Stern and edited by Alyssa Huntley.